Hi, diddly do, everybody. This is episode two of the How Long to Beat podcast. I am your fearless leader, Kerf Jung Il, otherwise known as Kerf Murf. I didn't think that was going to make it in. Yeah, yeah, it came back. <laughs> All right, and I have with me today. Me, Rick, the token Brit. <laughs> and. Um... Ultimate zombie toast. Yes, indeed. The, yeah, the token female. The gang's all here. All right, so we're going to mix things up a little bit compared to our last episode, uh, try to play with the format a little bit. Today we're going to be starting with some questions from the forums. And if I could remember where I put my question, I would ask it. So while I'm looking for that... Uh, Rick, Zombie Toast, one of you want to go first? Go on, I'll jump in. So my question this week, which I'm going to be a bit cheeky and pose it myself, is what is the game you've spent the longest amount of time playing? Mm-hmm. And this is based on Pokepaw's question. She asked, what is your current record on per, uh, play sessions length? So we're modifying that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Rick, you want to answer first? A pretty clear answer, and it's always going to be Rocket League. I don't think I'll ever stop playing that. I'm getting scarily close to four figures. Yeah, I mean, every time I get onto Discord, I see that in your little uh, your little <laughs> icon on the side says you're playing Rocket League. Well, Discord's half of the problem. I've got a few people I play semi-regularly doubles with now. So what tends to happen is I'll have every intention of doing work, and then one of them will pop up and say, well, fine, I've got to play Rocket League for an hour now. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's quite good for that, to be fair, because it's five-minute games, you really can jump in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the the longest after that for me is Dissidia, and that's the same thing, where it's you can jump into a fight, you jump straight back out. I think that for me is conversely what makes them so addictive and what makes me spend so much goddamn time on them. But that's me. <laughs> All right, I want to know, though, what is the actual exact number of hours you've spent oh, with Rocket League. Don't call me out like this. Oh. I need to know! Right, okay. What would you guess? You said it's close to four digits, so... I said it's getting closer and closer. I'm gonna say 800. Okay. I'm gonna look you up. Oh, oh no, cheater! 922 hours. Pardon? 922 hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. 922, oh my god. In my defense, I bought it at launch, so that's... What is that now? Coming on three years. That's like, what, 300 hours a year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's give or take an hour a day. That's like close, yeah. That's close to playing an hour a day for three years straight. I don't regret any of it. All right, so Rick, whose eyes are going to bleed out of his sockets from playing so much Rocket League. Uh, Zombie Toast, what about you? Uh, The most time I've spent in a game is um, Fire Emblem Awakening. And my... uh, It's because I keep, like, restarting and starting over again. So I think I have a total of something like 800 or 900 hours. Dang, guys, what is wrong with you people? (laughs) 
I um I made it like a goal to get everybody above like four hundred. So I I think I did that. There's a couple characters that you can only get them to like three eighty, but it takes I mean, hours upon hours of work to get them that high, so I did. How do you even get them that high? I thought that like once you got to twenty in you the second work, bitch. <laughs> No, yeah, um, my Olivia is because Olivia is my favorite character. I, would, I she's she's like tanked, <laughs> like a four thirty, which is like as high as she'll go when she's a um, a bride class. So she's no longer her dancer anymore. Um, How do you even... Noe is actually almost like five hundred. How do you even make that happen? Like, are there enemies where they're powerful enough that there's any challenge left at that point? Yeah, I, I played Lunatic, um, and then the endgame campaign is um, incredibly difficult, and if you want to have any chance of beating it, you do that work. And I can't remember the character it is. It's uh, Morgana, I think her name is. She was from one of the, the previous games, and you get to fight her and recruit her. So right. I did all the work for that. Work sounds like the operative word to me. It does not sound like fun at all. But I had a lot of free time back then when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently 900 hours of free time. Right. Yeah. Okay, Kerf, if you're going to keep going like that, what's yours? Alright, so looking at my list, it would appear to be uh, Elder Scrolls for Oblivion. Okay. Um... And I've only, well, only, I've put uh, eight, no, not eight, 187 hours into that, which is like a quarter of you guys. You've been slacking. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I, I obviously just need to start Oblivion over again and play it for 700 hours straight. You know what's really sad is I have about that much in all of my broken games of the Bethesda. Really? So I didn't even make it through when I have that hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... I mean, I put that time in back when I was in high school. Um, I remember my older brother and I would play the crap out of it a bunch, and we just kept making like all of these different characters and stuff. Um... Mostly, I just liked playing the Dark Brotherhood quests, like, on repeat over and over again. Oh, those ones are the worst. What? Oh, oops. Oh. How do you come by such a terrible opinion? I, I just thought that they... The idea of on repeat just didn't appeal to me, because it didn't change too much. I mean, you were going to new locations, but it was just like... Oh, I... I didn't mean like the I didn't mean like the radial repeating quests. I meant that like we would start new characters to do the main quest line of the Dark Brotherhood. Oh, a I bunch. thought you meant the ones that you can repeat. Nah, nah. I worded that weirdly. But like the one that sticks out the most to me is where it's like a dinner party or something and you have to kill everybody at the dinner party, but you can like uh, talk to them to like trick them into thinking that one of the other guests is killing everybody, and so then they start killing each other. Ooh, so it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Yeah, I I think I remember that maybe. It's one of my favorite quests from like any video game ever. I think about it so much. Sounds a bit Red Wedding. 
Red Wedding before there was a Red Wedding. Or actually, yeah. when did that book come out? I uh, actually no. I think that it would have been a, maybe around the same time because it took him like ten years to write each book. I know that the first one came out the year I was born, nineteen ninety six. Oh, okay. And then I think the rest took like at least five years to make, so it might have been around the same time. Huh? Maybe. Weird times. That guy just takes too long writing those books. I'm expecting <laughs> that he's going to die before he finishes them. You better not. That's what I worry about for Berserk too. <laughs> I worry about that for Berserk as well. That the die the guy's gonna die before he even finishes it. I feel like there's something about that thing. You know when books sort of finish without quite resolving it. Oh, like um. I'll come back to that later when we talk about the games we've been playing. So yeah, I mean, I know there's like um a really famous one is I think it's Charles Dickens Mystery of Edwin Drood where it was this mystery book that he started to write, but then he died in the middle of writing it, and nobody has any clue how it ends. But it's like a really famous piece still. Well, there's a lot There's a lot of famous books that specifically are that way. I think, is it The Trial by Kafka? Is one of those. And then I feel like there's a Lord of the Rings one where his son... Uh, Tolkien's son ended up finishing it off. Okay, what happened with Tolkien is um, he was one of those people when he sat down to write, if it wasn't perfect, he threw it away and he didn't work on it anymore. So what his son did <laughs> is he found all the scraps that he had thrown away and said, wow, these are really good. Why did my dad ever throw them away? And then started working on them. Well, the proof's in the pudding. <laughs> in fairness. Uh, yeah, I don't think any of the stuff uh, written posthumous. Who? Oh, I'm not even gonna try. I have trouble with the <laughs> written after life. he died. <laughs> yeah, after he died, um, is not as good. Yeah, most stuff that's written after somebody died isn't good because <laughs> they were dead when they wrote it. <laughs> anyway, good answers, guys. <laughs> Rick's losing it. I'm ready for that. <laughs> we just started and I'm done. <laughs> the question, the question that we just answered. Yeah, what was it? It was uh, what was the longest we've spent with a oh, game? I thought you, I thought you asked your question already, and I was like, I don't remember answering. Oh, uh, <laughs> we're doing great here, guys. <laughs> I will ask my question now, though, and uh, this is courtesy of Nalb, um, which is blank backwards, I believe. Uh, what would you define as complete? How would you define a game finished if the game doesn't have a standard endpoint? So, I mean, th this is a question that we see come up a lot on the forums because, like, especially new users who come don't really know what it always means to mark something as complete, and it's not always clear. Like, um, like, I mean, for example, let's just go back to Skyrim, or not Skyrim, Oblivion. Well, they're both basically the same game. So, uh, like, you can beat the main campaign of the game, but, like, there's so much else going on that you can still do. Uh, most of the time, like, I would probably mark that extra stuff as, like, main plus extras. But sometimes it gets, like, a little bit tricky. Like, sometimes with sports games, too, like Mario Kart. 
Like, what do you count as complete there? Is it just, like, completing all of the tracks, or...? I probably would call it that. I think, in a way, the more interesting question is how you classify the main plus stuff. So mm-hmm. for Skyrim uh, and Oblivion, I mean, I haven't played any of those, so I think I would be inclined to call main plus if you'd spent time doing the side quests around the main campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the question, though... Then the the question, like, kind of compounds on itself, because, like, let's say Oblivion or Skyrim or a Zelda game or something, like, inevitably, while you're playing those games, you're going to stumble upon extra stuff, uh, like a mini-game or a side quest or something, and well, you'll just do it. But, like, if if you're doing that on the way to completing the main game, would you still count that as extras, or would you just count it as main because you're just doing it because it just happens to be right in front of you? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd call that main plus. I think yeah, main is main is avoiding anything else. How long does it take you to get from the opening to roll credits? That's how I feel. And I think that people are, are like, I think they're a little bit too concerned with having everything be exactly right. It's a careful that you are. This is the how long to beat podcast. So that is so <laughs> yeah, well, but the thing is, it will sort itself <laughs> out if you if you mess up the time a little bit. It's the average player is going to sort it out and make it the way it's supposed to be. So I think people are a little bit too concerned. I think it's with what you take away from the game that makes it like if you get to the the ending, then you've beaten the game. If there's other stuff besides the ending, it's main plus. If you get literally everything, it's 100. And this is where I maybe have a confession to make. There yeah. are a couple of times where I've gotten to the final boss and not beaten the boss, but sort of watched it on YouTube and completed it and called it complete. You son of a gun! <laughs> Only occasionally. And one of them, to be fair was the the resistance game they made for the PSP. And then I think I came back to it two years later and beat the boss, and that was a little bit of a weight off my conscience. But as far as I'm concerned, you've seen the credits. You know, you couldn't get through a boss battle, and some of them are fucking broken, depending on the game you play. <laughs> I feel like, functionally, you've seen everything that game had to offer. Not gonna lie, I did the very same thing with some of the Resident Evils, just because they scared me so much. I <laughs> through them. Come on, so, Chris, confession time. Make it a trinity. Confession time. I don't even know what to confess. I beat my games, thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. If if I if I get to that point where I like cannot finish a game for one reason or another, then like even if I'm right at the final boss, like I'll still mark that as retired instead of completed. And maybe some people can't like can't conceive of that because you put in so much work that just saying that it's retired when you've basically done everything uh hurts in a spiritual way but uh the vandals should be so uh good-natured mr greg yeah because you're you said you identify with greg right and he's a vandal i think a vandal should be as good-natured well i've got all right, vandals shouldn't be good-natured, but Greg is good-natured in every way, shape, and form. Other than the fact that he steals from his boss and, like, literally destroys property. Hey, man, but that's, like, good-natured in a punk way. 
You just don't get it, Toast. Neither do I. I don't know what you're referencing, but you just don't get it. Anarchy forever, Rick. <laughs> but you know what? I get the argument, because I suppose the point is, if the game hasn't hooked you enough for you to finish it and play finishing it, then technically that is a retirement in the sense that you haven't played all the way through. And I think that that's a matter of nuance. And at the end of the day, like Toast was saying, when you average it all out, it doesn't make a massive difference unless it's, you know, something for the virtual boy where two people have played it. So just to bring up one more example, I guess, before we change to the next question. So what about something like Super Smash Brothers? Like, how would you consider that finished? Because there's so many different modes. Like, for Brawl, that actually had a story mode where you could, like, beat it. And I suppose if you beat that, it could be considered done. But, like, Smash... The story mode, by the way, was awful, and I'll fight anyone who disagrees. (laughs) I had fun with it as a 12-year-old kid. But... (laughs) Um, Is they saying that the story mode was awful on, like, Melee? In Brawl. No, Brawl. Oh, oh space and mystery gonna... thing. Yeah, no, it's fine. If you said <laughs> Melee, I'd, I would fight you. Melee's Melee, adventure mode was great. Yes, it was. This is my childhood. <laughs> and, like, playing the levels in all of the, like, fast ways. Because, like, I know the first level in adventure mode, if you ended on, like, a specific second, then you had to fight Luigi and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I love that stuff. But like, yeah, so going to like Smash 4, like they got rid of the story mode. So like, what would you count as completed there? Like, is it beating classic mode with every fighter? Is it beating all of the events? What do you think? That probably is the real question, really, isn't it? How do you count games as complete when they don't have a proper story sequence where there's credits... Um, and you play through a series of levels to get there. I mean, I, I don't know about you two, I think that's sort of a when you feel like you've had your fill of it. Mm-hmm. That's usually what I do, like, what I go off of. Because, um, I mean, obviously if you get literally everything done, like, you get all the trophies, then it's 100. Yeah. But um, there's lots of games where there's end games that go on for ridiculously long time, like Monster Hunter, you can't mm. feasibly... I mean, you can get everything, and some people have, and I think I have on a few, but it just gets astronomical, and uh, it, I think it's just when you're done. You're done. Yeah. yeah. I had one, just before we move on, I had something a bit like this with uh, the South Park mobile game, which is a weird one, because there's a good game in there somewhere. <laughs> they just they buried it, and I managed... To clear, quote unquote, the story mode. So, to give some context, the main focus of the game is PvP. They really want you to fight people online and move up through the ranks. But there is technically a series of offline single player levels that sort of convert the PvP combat into something where you're playing against the computer. And it's gimped to hell. They clearly want it to also make you feel like you have to spend money. But (laughs) if you get all the way through to the end, you're supposed to play each level 15 times. But when I beat the last level the first time, I was like, do you know what? That's me done. I think I ended up deleting it shortly after as well. And that's it. But the ending, 
worst ending in any game ever, now and forevermore. Because what it does at the end <laughs> is they finish playing, and I, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything by saying this. Um, oh, Rick, how dare you spoil the South Park mobile well, game for me? Here's your warning. If you are really looking forward to the story mode of a year-old free-to-play mobile game based on a comedy franchise, then <laughs> now's your time to pause and go away. But essentially, at the end, they've been playing it this whole time as we're going to make some money off this silly game. And how much have we made? And when you when it shows that you've not paid a penny, all of the kids go off really upset. And one of them's like, I knew we shouldn't have made this a freemium game. And it actually made me feel guilty, and it ruined <laughs> all of the goodwill that the game had built up for me. And that sounds super petty out loud now that I'm actually saying it to actual people, but I stand by it. No, that would that would tick me off too. Yeah, but it in a way it also made me feel quite glad that I'd stuck through and not given them any money. Yeah, there you go. Stick but... it to the maniosis. <laughs> Happy ending in there somewhere. I think. Now we have one more question. Don't yes, we, we do. Okay, I chose um, Mock Turtles. What do you consider the ideal gaming setup? By which I mean in terms of location, equipment, time, etc. Okay. Uh, I'll let you two go ahead first on this one because I think I need to have a think about it. Okay. Um, Well, for me, this is fairly easy because um, I set up everything based on convenience. So, if it's not within my reach, it's not considered part of my, like, official setup. It needs to be, I can, like, lean over and push the button. Because there are days when I really don't feel like getting up, but walking across the room to, (laughs) (laughs) to turn on my PS4 sometimes just doesn't cut it. For the audience, she looks suitably ashamed at what she's just said, so... (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, I think, personally, everything should be, like, have a centralized location and be, first off, you have your, like, PC, your desktop, and then um, you have your monitor, preferably with both HDMI and VGA, so um, you can, you know, if you have your other um, consoles, which you should have next to your your monitor so that when you feel like playing your console games, you can take your VGA or your um, HDMI and plug it into the monitor um, so you don't have to move. (laughs) I'm noticing a theme here about not having to move. (laughs) Honestly, it makes for a really good setup. If you have two monitors, it makes it better so you can have your computer and then you can have your consoles you can have played them next to each other. It also makes a great environment for deep vein thrombosis, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's my ideal setup. Okay. What about you, Kev? Um, uh, I guess my ideal setup... I don't have it currently in the, the place where I am right now, but I used to have it back at my parents' house. Um, I don't keep my, I don't keep everything in one location. I definitely prefer to have, like, my consoles in, like, one area and then my computer stuff in another area. Like, I I just have to have them separated. 
Um, not like terribly distant because like if I want to stream or something, then obviously they need to be close enough that, you know, cords can reach so I can, uh, record and stuff. But I don't know. I, I like to have a separation between them if possible. Um, mostly just because like my computer I guess for the multitasking aspect, like I can have my game up on one monitor and then I can have like stuff open on the other monitor, like streaming, uh, software or something else, audacity, something. Um, whereas when I'm playing my console games, it, it I guess it's more immersive for me. I just want to like sit on my bed with my bean bag behind me and just, you know, play it with a wireless controller and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. All of my stuff's mm. pre-packed right now, though, and it's a little overwhelming. Pre-packed? Why are you moving? No, no, not packed as in, like, in boxes, but packed as in, like, can of sardines smushed together. Um, oh, I see. Okay, I'm with you. If you have everything, like, centralized around your PC, though, you have free USBs to charge all your controllers, and you can set them up and have, like, four charging at a time. And you can switch them out like guns. <laughs> which I suppose leads to the last part of Mark Turtle's question, which is, what do you consider the ideal gaming length? Kind of length of session? Oh, oh I missed that part. That, that's a bad question for me. Uh... <laughs> don't want to embarrass yourself any further. I don't know. I guess I could answer this question. Um, I... I have this weird thing where I feel like if I'm playing for less than an hour, I feel like I've gotten nothing done. Uh, hmm. Almost like no matter what game it is. Like, sometimes it takes so much time just to, like, set it up and hook in the right output uh, for it and stuff. That by the time I sit down, it's like you're playing for 40 minutes. And if it's an RPG, that basically means that you can kill 10 enemies and then you're done for the day. So I kind of have to set aside time to play games. Like, I have to build it into my daily schedule now. And I try to go for two hours at least. I've been known to go up to, like, ten on free days, though. Uh, I assume that's, like, with breaks to get food. Yeah, let's say that. Let's say that I include breaks. It makes me sound better. <laughs> okay, I guess I have figured it out. Um, on average, I I do bursts of like twenty five minutes to an hour, just because I put it on like a timer and I say, well, you can play twenty five minutes of this, but then you have to get so much this done. But hmm. um, recently with Monster Hunter, I had it for three days, and then I realized that my log time was thirty hours. So I had been playing for an average of 10 hours. <laughs> and it was like, which I'm sure to some people is, is pitiful. They, they have so much more hours, but uh, it was quite mind-blowing when I looked at it and I was like, oh crap, I have played this way too much. If they spent more hours, I don't know where they found them. That's the best part of a work week in a day. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get much done and I felt really, really bad that week. That doesn't surprise me. Funnily enough, <laughs> I wish that face would translate into the audio. It was, how do I describe that? 
It was sort of a mocking grimace. <laughs> that fair, Kerf? Is that about right? Yeah, sure. We can call it that. We'll go with that. You've stalled long enough, Rick. It's time to hear your answer. Stalled long enough. Ideal setup's a weird one for me because I'm a student. So, like, for the past three or four years, it's been whatever I can fit into my room type thing. Um, I quite like the idea, kind of dream spitballing type thing, of... um, a setup where you sort of sit in like a dentist chair and rather than kind of sitting right and looking at the screen you're reclined a little bit and the screen's aligned to your face if that makes sense oh so you want like a base like a yeah sort of sort of like where there's desks surrounding you and you just have like yeah or rather you know you've got a controller in hand or a key in front of you and as you're reclined the monitor's set up so that as you recline it's on your eye level already almost like if you imagine if you sat in a dentist chair when they lower the light so that they can see into your teeth you could do the same but with a monitor those are ridiculously expensive i'm not proposing (laughs) that i could afford one right now just that that's the ideal the so so your ideal is a comparison between dentistry work and video gaming yeah, I mean, if it's if it's good enough for my teeth, it's good enough for my games. <laughs> that's, that's and a if fair you're going to do that, don't cheap out and try to attach your TV to, like, the ceiling. Cause, uh, that's I've had nightmares. That, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> that would be one way to get rid of my teeth. Yeah, it has failed. <laughs> but I think it's why I, I gravitate more and more to handheld gaming and always sort of have. I mean, if I where my desk is, which is where I'm sat now, I have a drawer that, at the moment, has a fat DS, a DS Lite, a PSP, a PSP Go, a Vita. And two hard-boiled eggs. And two hard-boiled eggs in a kitchen sink, yeah. Um, I quite like that you can sort of grab one and it's all self-contained. And again, I think that comes from the environment that I'm currently in. Um... My setup's like that too. I have a, a bag, and it has all my handhelds next to it too. So but you could just do the. From the opposite angle, though, rather than me going to one place and everything's there, it's more a case of I can pick it up and wherever I go, it is. Oh. <laughs> That's why I like the micro. It's been really, really good for on the bus because it just fits in a coat pocket. Pop it out for ten minutes. People in America don't really go on buses. Well, you work a lot from home, though, don't you? So that. But yeah, but not, in Michigan, nobody goes on a bus. Why would you? In more like urban areas, people tend to use buses. Like I have to use a bus to get to class um, from where I am. But I also get car sick, so I don't bring my handheld on there. Well, <laughs> um, maybe one last thing on gaming setup. I love the Steam controller. So, <laughs> there's the mocking grimace again. Just for the audience, the grimace came out again. What's your beef with the Steam controller? What's going uh, on? You know the little slidey doos. Oh, the uh, the trackpad things. I hate them. I hate them so much. I wish they were gone. <laughs> Have you used them at any great length? I've used them for about an hour and a half to test them out, and I hated them. And so I just switched over to a PS4 controller, and I was like, yes, this works. And I have my Switch controller if that doesn't work. I'll concede that the D-pad's not very good. That's the most I'll give you. Yeah, I mean, for 
for a game like a Super Meat Boy, where I'd play with a keyboard anyway, have no. not having that. You play with a keyboard? What the? You yeah. mongrel! What's wrong with you? There's oh my god! There's nothing wrong with a keyboard for a 2D platformer. Precision requires a controller, and I'm going to say this now: shooters require a controller too. Regardless. Ooh, okay. Actually, no, no. I, I, you lost me there. Precision platformers, yeah, controller. Shooters, keyboards, where it's at. I feel like I'm the I'm the Switzerland of this debate. I but like, I could play a platformer with a controller. And I could play a shooter with a controller. But I could play both with a keyboard and mouse as well. It's not the end of the world. But with the Steam controller, one, I quite like the little paddles on the back of it. Um, especially in Rocket League. So I've got my drift mapped to that. So I can do everything without kind of doing a monster hunter claw type to get every button at the same time. <laughs> but also the trackpads are quite nice because you can do a lot of customizing with them. And you can really get things set up how you want. And Toast is shaking her head, but she's wrong. It's a very nice controller. It's very cheap. I've had this one for as long as I've had Rocket League, and it's held up beautifully to way too much abuse. This controller can play on several different consoles. She is currently holding a PlayStation 4 controller to the screen. Which controller. Don't get me wrong, but... Yeah, guys, we can all hold up our PlayStation 4 controllers till the cow goes home, but nobody can see them. You know how to make the format work. (laughs) Should we probably move on from this question? Yeah, one more thing, Rick. Your uh, your ideal time spent playing games. Right, okay. So this is a two-parter. In real life, given that I have way too much work and way too little time to do it, <clears throat> probably five, ten-minute bursts. Um, so a match of Rocket League. RPGs are quite good, where they you, know, you jump in and out for five, ten minutes. Especially, I'm playing Final Fantasy at the moment on the PSP. Come back to that later. But, you know, you switch it into sleep mode. You come back, fight through a few enemies, rinse and repeat. Um, Or, for those who listened last time, Stuntman was really good for that on the advance as well. Where you attempt to run, go back to your work, go and attempt to run again. Again, cycling and out. But I do also quite like committing a couple of hours to something and then going and doing something else for a bit. I think two or three hours is a good length if you can afford to do it. Yeah. I want to bring something up about that at some point. Probably not today, but the idea of the two to three hour gaming session is something I want to talk about at some point. Um, Yeah, yeah. I actually have some interesting ideas, so remind me to bring it up someday. I will do. What's, What's the DiCaprio quote from that Tarantino film... You had my interest, now you have my attention. Yeah, uh, Django Unchained. That's the one. Mediocre film, great quote. You are a liar and a scoundrel. But, that being said, we will go ahead and move on to our second section of the show, (laughs) which is talking about the game of the month for March. And we want to preface this by saying that it is currently February 28th, which means that the game of the month for March has not officially been chosen yet. That being said, uh, Fatal Frame currently has the majority of the vote, and with only a few hours left, we feel pretty safe in calling it right now. Yeah. And calling what are suspicious, but we're sure 100% legitimate votes. Right. I'm going to stick my neck out. I've done it. It's on the one take. 
<laughs> Fight me IRL. It could be official. I mean, it could just be that three people... I'm sure they're perfectly legitimate votes, even though they do look ever so slightly suspicious. I have no doubt in the integrity of the system. Well, maybe they're ghost votes <laughs> to bring it into the conversation. Uh, so, Fatal Frame, for anybody who's listening who is not familiar with the series, is a psychological survival horror series in which you normally play as a cute teenage Japanese girl with a camera obscura that she uses to take pictures to kill ghosts. And it's it's just a weird time all around. I have not played the first one. I have played the second one, which I have mixed feelings about. But how about you guys? Uh, I know of this series. I tend to avoid, <clears throat> avoid like, survival horror like The Plague. Because I'm a big wuss. But um, I do remember playing one on Wii. And, um... I mean, it had motion controls. And uh, I don't remember what it was called. I think that the motion controls worked okay for it. But I still didn't think that... It was something I'd ever fall in love with. Hmm. That's probably the kindest thing you've ever said about motion controls. <laughs> well, I think, it, and in that kind of game, it kind of, it was something that worked well with it. And other games, it feels like it was shoehorned in. But Fatal Frame, it was literally like you're holding up a camera. And it, it made a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, I have absolutely no knowledge of the series whatsoever. I've heard the name before. That's about as far as it goes. So it'd be interesting... Uh, maybe if I give you guys reference points in terms of what I know of survival horror, and maybe you can kind of say, well, it's more of this, less of that. So I don't really play that much. So the two recently, um, I played the original Resident Evil, uh, the DS port, funnily enough. Okay, which... not Resident Evil-like. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say and that. I'm going to say this now. Have you played Galgun? I have. It's a great shooter, apart from all of the, the other stuff around it. Okay, you're playing Galgun, but mm -hmm. now it's horror. <laughs> but then Galgun's on rails, isn't it? Huh? Galgun's on rails. I, is Fatal Frame a light gun shooter? It's you with the camera. Right, okay. So is it that mechanic, but you also get to control the player character's movement? Um. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Right. Okay. I it's think a, it's right. actually a lot like Galgun, but because um, I like anime titties, I prefer the, <laughs> uh, I prefer Galgun. We've opened that door now. <laughs> um, and the other one I've played, which I probably enjoyed a little bit more than Resident Evil, somewhat controversially, is um, Silent Hill Origins. Okay, haven't played that one. Uh, so um... it's it's a reimagining of the first game. It focuses a bit more on um, mobile phone and torch mechanics. It also, and this is probably the biggest failing of the game, it limits the times you can encounter enemies to a few specific sections of the game. And when you're not in one of those sections and they're very, very clearly signposted by environmental cues, you know that nothing's going to attack you. Okay. You can't fight back, you just have to run. Sorry? It's closer to that than Resident Evil. Okay. Yeah, that 
So I haven't played Origins, but that setup actually sounds really similar to the Wii Silent Hill game, which was like Silent Hill Homecoming, I think. Oh, no, that was Origins. You're thinking of the same game. They're the same thing? Uh, yeah, so I played Origins on the PSP, but it was it was made primarily for the Wii. And yeah. the point was that you aimed the torch and you aimed the mobile phone's camera. Oh, okay. Um, it's got a different name than the Wii version. Uh, no, it's the same name. It's the same name? Yeah, it's Silent Hill Origins. Or was it oh. Downpour? What? Which one? Is, I don't uh, know which one is which anymore. I'm, I'm almost certain. <laughs> that was PS2. That was even further back. Oh, uh, now I'm just getting confused. Uh, I mean, the bad thing is, Origins is the only Silent Hill game I've played, but I am sort of aware of them. So Downpour and Homecoming are both uh, PS3 and 360. Origins started on the Wii and then moved to the PSP and PS2. Um, and I'm pretty sure Silent Hill The Room was... That's the Silent Hill fourth? Four. That it's was four. the main entries on the PS2. Yeah. Yeah, it's the fourth one. Oh, no, it's called Silent Hill Shattered Memories. Is that still the same game, or is it different? Uh, that's the subtitle. Or am I... Oh, no. I've After making out that I know the series, I've copped up. Yeah, it's, I'm talking about Shattered Memories. I have played Origins as well, but that one was on the PSP. Okay. Exclusively. Yeah, Shattered Memories is what I'm talking about. Okay, <laughs> well, now I can... Leave the UK, leave me alone. <laughs> Alright, I can connect to that a little bit. Um, I don't know, I feel like Shattered Memories was a little more linear than Fatal Frame. I don't know how the Wii Fatal okay. Frame is, um, but at least Fatal Frame 2 was a little more open. I would compare it more to, like, uh, Silent Hill 2 or yeah. Silent Hill 1. Except um, it's more like... I, It's not really third person, from what I remember. The second one was third person. Okay. I don't know if the Wii well, one the was... The one was as well. I don't know. Clearly none of us have played the first one. <laughs> No, I feel like we're very ill-qualified for... We're not, we're not experts on Fatal Frame here. <laughs> but what I do find... What I found interesting about Fatal Frame 2 was... Um, I mean, just the camera mechanics. I mean, I think that's the big takeaway that everybody gets from that series, is the way that the camera system works. Oh, um, I can't get how that's a good horror setting. Because I'm I'm assuming you're limited in camera. It's not like you just have an unlimited weapon. But also, um, I suspect the clearer shot you get, the more damage you do. So I suppose there's a risk reward thing there. Yeah, and you have to engage with what's scaring you. Yeah, and not only that, but so like you have to literally be aiming your camera at the ghost as you know it's coming towards you. Um, right. But, like, you actually get bonus damage if they're, like, in the middle of an attack or something. Oh, okay. So you basically are waiting for them to do their most frightening shit-your-pants thing, and in the middle of that moment, you have to frame the shot and take it uh, in order to get the most points out of it. It's like the equivalent of a parry, like, timing it just right. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Huh. I can see that working. I'm... I'm not sure it'd be for me. I I tend to like my games to have a bit more of pace to them. I suspect 
you'll probably be able to tell me better that mechanic sounds like it would lend itself um, slow methodical approach which sounds not quite up my alley but I I can definitely see how it would work it is definitely slow and methodical that is exactly how I would describe it hmm no I I can't say that I'm not even sure what platform it's on I can't say I'd be I'd be taking part this month, unfortunately. I think it's PlayStation 2. Mm, I could probably emulate it. Maybe, we'll see. See if I can find the time. <laughs> I think my sister might have it, maybe. I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hard to find those games now. I mean, I had to kind of pay out the ass to get... Uh... See, here I am, I'm telling you guys not to curse on the show, and here I am on the other side, just letting them rip. Uh, <laughs> every now and again it's okay yeah yeah but if um, you can't find the disc there's this thing called the internet it's really good you should have it yeah uh, go to the internet to very legally play the video game on the very legal softwares <laughs> find a legitimate dump of the ISO and play it in <laughs> emulator at this point, you're not going to fund the developer. So... Yeah. Ethically, I think there's an argument to be made. If I mean, we could do a whole podcast podcast on that. <laughs> we might have to. I mean, to be fair, like, do any of us have anything else to say about Silent... Uh, not Silent Hill, Fatal Frame, at this point? I can't say without, it either. Without playing more of it, probably not. Yeah, so maybe for next episode... Those of us who are interested will play a little bit, and we could talk more about it. It's um, a shame something more interesting didn't get chosen. Yeah. <laughs> well, right. hey, the shade is well earned. I mean, Zombie Toast in here were staunch proponents of the sexy brutal. Yeah, I, I, I wanted that one to win. I uh, proposed it, and uh, I thought it would be super, super fun. And I got the the game during the winter sale, and then I've been like sitting on it, waiting for its time. <laughs> I guess its time is not now. Well, maybe maybe we should talk a little bit about that then. Maybe commiserate on that now, and we can talk about Fatal Frame a bit more. What we know a bit more. Not only that, but Bloodborne is actually super super on sale, so that would have been another one. Oh yeah, it's PS PS Plus this month, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. And uh, I think, like, pretty much everybody and their brother has Bloodborne. I have it. I have, like, I, I bought it when it came out. I, it's, it's a super good game. It would have been fun to play again. Yeah, I think that was the first game I got with my PlayStation 4, and I still haven't gotten around to it. So that might have, again, might have been a good one, as opposed to Fatal Frame. <laughs> well, so far, Bloodborne's the only real killer app for the PS4, in my mind. Uh, I don't I mean, know about maybe that. Maybe you guys disagree with me. Maybe, I mean, maybe one of you is a big fan of the Order eighteen eighty six. Well, I mean, it it all depends on your own perspective because I mean, there's Uncharted four and then like Lost Legacy, uh, which would be considered killer apps for the system. I wasn't you know blown away by them, but a lot of people they are system sellers is basically okay. what I'm trying to say. Well, well, let's put Lost Legacy to one side because that's standalone DLC, but let's say Bloodborne and Uncharted 4. Are there any other games, when I say system seller, like Killer App, I mean an experience that you can only play on that console. 
because to my mind most of the good things on PS4 are either on Vita as well Deadbolt's one of those Deadbolt just came out play Deadbolt I'll never <laughs> stop playing that game but also on PC so many of the the good cross-platform and indie titles that are, are coming to that console are also available on PC and I think for a lot of our little community most people have a PC capable of running it either as well as or instead of a PS4 mm-hmm so was... I understand, though, that people, as much as you love your PS Vita, people don't own them. It's Ooh. not, the thing is, if they're going to ah, That's a harsh it, reality. It, it is a harsh reality. True. I love my Vita, but it's true. Nobody's buying, if they have a game um, that's, like, for PS4 or Vita, if they don't have the Vita, they're going to buy it for PS4. They're not going to buy a Vita. And yeah, people, I mean... The interesting side note to that is that developers actually are making more money in sales on the Vita and the Switch than they are on some of the consoles, especially for those smaller indies. So I think I remember when SteamWorld Dig 2 came out, they sold more on Switch than any other console. And Switch and Vita combined, I think, made over 50% of their sales numbers. And that's a game that came out on PS4, Xbox One, PC and obviously PC alone has such a big install base that people are, are choosing those platforms. But put that to one side, my point still stands, I think, which is there aren't really many games that are A, great enough for you to say, well, I need a PS4 for that, and B, not available elsewhere anyway. Um, I'm just looking on Google right now. Um... There's Horizon Zero Dawn, but Horizon Zero Dawn is uh, terrible in every way, shape, and form. So, you know, Ooh. we could... Are you in the minority that. of that opinion? I, I am definitely that... in the minority of that opinion. <laughs> it does seem a little bit like just another third world um, objective thon to me. And that's so... very true. I have a well-documented hatred for Horizon Zero Dawn. <laughs> I haven't gotten around to playing it. Um, I actually... It's really strange because the game has half of the the wrap torn off because I got I opened half of it and was like ah eh, never mind and then I just like <laughs> it. so it's sitting on a shelf with half of its wrap gone. Okay, so 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 far, um, the killer apps we're saying are Bloodborne, one in a long line of a franchise that can be found elsewhere, Uncharted Four a sequel to an admittedly good-selling franchise and a new IP that sort of retreads old ground gameplay. Yeah. I think I've sort of made my point in summarising that. You know, that there isn't... I hesitate to draw the analogy to Wii but maybe that's a good one. Or even... Although it came late in the lifespan, The Last of Us on PS3, you know, new experiences where you could take one look at it and say, that's worth buying the console for. You know, yeah. I can't get anything at all like this anywhere else. I mean, I, I guess that's fair to say, but I mean, they're still doing better than Xbox One, to be honest. That's not exactly saying much, though, is it? Let's be fair. Yeah, I mean, it's not saying much, but... I mean, I have never, <laughs> I I have never felt bad about my PlayStation Four purchase. Is my only point here. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I'm 
again, and this is well documented on behind the curve with the console, but I did have an opportunity to buy a PS4 for £100 from a friend of a friend who was bored with it and selling it. So that's, what is that about? In the post-Brexit economy, let's say 120 to 140 maybe even a touch less than that. Um, and even at that price, I don't regret not having... But, you know. Yeah, it sort of gets to a point with, like, the big three consoles where, like, they may not have the greatest exclusives, but, you know, you kind of got to have at least one of them if you want to stay up to date with the games that are coming out that are only consoles that aren't going to PC. Yeah. So you kind of just have to pick which one fits your needs the most. And maybe that's another question that we could do a whole podcast on. <laughs> you know, are modern console games worth the time and the expense and the hassle? Especially with the whole games as service thing happening. Um, the style over substance thing. The whole Ubisoft template debate. But the short answer is if stuff. the short answer is if you have a switch, then yes, it's worth it. But we will save that discussion. We will save that discussion for another day. In the meantime, we will go ahead and move on and uh, play some jazzy intermission music for you. And then it'll be jazzy no matter what. (laughs) Everything's jazzy when it's good. Here's a remix of Far Away from the Mirror's Edge soundtrack produced by Synesthenics courtesy of ocremix.org.
And welcome back. Feels like we've only just said goodbye. But we are back, and we are going to continue our show for the evening. So next we have up an interview with me, of all people. So so self-centered. <laughs> <laughs> me self-centered? Impossible. So uh, just to let our listeners know... Uh, from time to time on the podcast, we're going to try and hold interviews with members of the community. Uh, for the first couple of weeks, we are actually going to hold those interviews with the three of us so that you can get to know us a little bit better and so we can sort of get structured, figure out how we want to ask our questions and stuff. So in the meantime, you will be dealing with me and my nonsense. So lay it on me, guys. Okay, so we have ten questions. Ten? Supreme Leader Kerr. If we can get through them. <laughs> I think we can. I, I have faith. And I've got one that I want to specifically ask at the end, and we're going to tag in and out, so I'll let <laughs> Toast ask the first question. Okay. How did you first get into video games? Ah, okay. Um, I guess... Okay, first one. Yeah. I can probably blame that on my older siblings. Um, I don't know if I brought this up to you guys. Uh, I think I have, but I have seven siblings. I come, oh, <laughs> I come from a very big family. Uh, I am the seventh out of the eight total children, so I'm kind of like at wow. the end of it. So I had the uh, the luxury of having many older siblings to buy games and play games and basically let me inherit them. Uh, so, I mean, I just grew up playing with my siblings, basically. Uh, my oldest memories are playing Nintendo 64, Smash Bros, and, like, Turtles in Time on Super Nintendo with my brothers. Um, are you the middle child? I am the... I'm the next to last. So Technically one of the middle children. Yeah, <laughs> but there are six middle children. So, <laughs> if that's if that's the quotient you're using, um, but yeah, that's that's basically my answer. Is I just kind of naturally grew up with it because my siblings would play co-op with me. And that's some good pedigree of co-op as well. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh boy. Right. Next question. Keep the momentum going. What is your favorite system and why? Ooh, 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 ooh. Oh, man. Okay. It's either Super Nintendo or PlayStation 2. And, ah, that's a tough one. You've got to pick one. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put the pressure on. All right. I'm going to go, it's going to break my heart, but I'm going to go with Super Nintendo just because, right, the right choice, just because one of nostalgia, uh, and two, because like, those games hold up better than PlayStation 2 games do, I think. Um, Controversial. Well, I mean... I'm actually going to agree. That, that's 100% true. They hold up better. The, yeah. Um, I mean, PlayStation 2, I would say that it was more revolutionary for its time, using 3D models, but 3D models look hideous when they <laughs> age. Yeah, I mean, there, there are still good-looking PlayStation 2 games, and there's, like, a lot of them, too. But, like, 
for some reason, like, it just doesn't feel the same to play them anymore, especially since mo so many of them have been given, like, an HD re-release and stuff for current consoles. Hmm. Um, so it, it's a little harder to go back and play those games, whereas Super Nintendo games pretty much just have that static, unchanging quality to them. Uh, they're just as good today as they were... How many? 20 years ago? 20 years ago. Yeah. 20 plus years ago. Follow-up question. Yeah. What in the plan 10? Does that make you feel ever so slightly old? Um. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> because, I mean, like, I'm 23 years old. It's impossible to feel old at 23 years old. Oh, I feel old all the time. Okay, well... Okay, Granny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm two years younger than you. You're two years younger than me. Um, it, but like, it is just one of those things where it's weird to look back on something you had as a kid and realize, holy crap, that was two decades ago. Like, we've been through, uh, you know, so many different presidents. That doesn't matter to you, Rick, because you're not from America. But you no, know. it doesn't matter to me either. I don't okay. really think about it like that. It matters to me, I guess. <laughs> but, like, there's so many cycles of things. Like, think about Shrek. Like, remember when Shrek was a new thing? That's a segue and a half. I try not to respect think about Shrek that. at all. <laughs> anyway, go ahead and ask your next question. There's no point going ogre old round. <laughs> we all have to remember our Shrek phrase phase. Oh, dear me. I never had one. I didn't like it when I was little. No, well, I no. Some people liked fun taste. <laughs> right. Okay. Question number three. I'm tagging you in. If you had one choice for a game everyone should play, what would it be and why? Uh, maybe an easy answer, but I'd go with Majora's Mask. Um, I think that it does so much, both just like in gameplay, like. The gameplay is as solid as any other Zelda game. Um, controversial? Eh, I don't think it's that controversial. Well, I mean, Debatable, maybe. Mechanically, it is, you know, phenomenal. Uh, I know people have issues with the time constraints. Um, but, I mean, I could... I'm sure essays have been written on the time constraints, and I'm sure I could write one as well. Because I think that even though it is imposing on a player, I think, you know, sometimes you need to impose on a player. I think sometimes you need to give them that challenge and even, yes, a little bit of anxiety over what they can feasibly accomplish in a certain amount of time. And if they aren't able to do it, then maybe punish them for it. You know, make them have to do it again. I know that that is a controversial opinion, but I think, I mean, failure is just something that you learn from. And I don't, I, I think that, you know, so many games that we grew up with specifically, you have to die and try again and die and try again, get a game over, start from the beginning, try again. And even though I don't necessarily think that format is always great going forward with games, I think that we should appreciate the ones that dared to do it. You heard it here first. Kerf says, get good. <laughs> I am actually, like, the firmest opponent of get good philosophy. 
Could have fooled me. <laughs> but I do think that in terms of those old games where you can't really change it, you just kind of have to deal with it. I think that as games are being developed currently, people should consider accessibility. But for games where that wasn't, you know, the biggest issue, it's it's just a thing you have to wrestle with. Anyway, uh, I also think that people should play it just because of the meaning that it imparts, which, again, would be an entirely different essay. But I have not felt as emotional connection to many games as I have with Majora's Mask. Okay. All right, then. Question number four. What was the last film you watched? Okay. Um, what was it? Does it have to be a film that I watch from beginning to end? Ideally, yes. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be. Okay. Um... Dang, I can't even remember. Like, I really don't watch movies that often anymore. Um, so movie that I have watched from beginning to end most recently. The last one that I remember is It. The new It that came out last year. How did you find that? I was so disappointed. Um, I didn't really have expectations for it. Just because I am not really a Stephen King fan, mm-hmm. uh, I just happened to be watching it because, like, the people in my building were watching it, and they were having like a viewing party or whatever. And I went with my friend. So, I—I I mean, honestly, I thought it was hilarious <laughs> because Pennywise in that movie is just—he's just a little turd, honestly. <laughs> A little what, sorry? He's a little turd. Oh, turd. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that... Sorry, go on. He's just, he's just punking him. Like, he doesn't even try to kill him most of the time. He's just, he's just pranking him. Just getting him good. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because the nature of Pennywise is that the fear is what he wants. I feel like that's an acceptable amount of spoiler. Yeah, I uh, think that's fine. So I, there's justification for that, but at the same time as a horror film, I feel like he was a bit too campy. But you could say the same of the 90s version too. Mm-hmm. But that was Tim Curry, right? That was, yeah. So we watched that a couple of months before we watched the new It. But as campy as Tim Curry was in it, the older one is actually, I think, a lot scarier than the new yeah. one. And I just like Tim Curry anyway. Yeah. Always have. God Among Men. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I, I think that... I, I would, and clearly did go that far. I think that he Ooh. is the ambassador of camp. <laughs> right then, number five. Toast, go. Okie dokie. Um... Well, what's your favorite video game of all time? Oh, well, uh, I'll just say Majora's Mask. <laughs> Are you really? Is that it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, it's like, I feel like it's one of those easy go-to things where it's a lot of people's favorite game, but... Really? Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that it was, like, 
Mm, like anybody's favorite. Well, I mean, it's a good game, but I don't think it's anybody's go-to game. Uh, Except yours, apparently. Maybe, maybe we just hang out in different circles because, I mean, I I know there are like communities that exist that you know are raving about Majora's Mask over all of the others. I think that they should get good and start talking about Wind Waker. Okay. <laughs> Wind Waker and Majora's Mask can duke it out some other day. Okie dokie. I do love Wind Waker, and it's maybe, maybe a second place for me. But, uh, it's, it, yeah, I gotta give it to Majora's Mask. I'm sure we'll see how controversial that is or isn't on the forums. Right. I doubt it's gonna be controversial, honestly. You never know. You never do know. Question number six, and I preface this with, with a fun fact for the audience. Kerf is of the red-haired variety. So question <laughs> number six is, how do you find life as a ginger? Is it all it's cracked up to be? Tell us a little bit more. Okay, so a day in the life of a ginger. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very mixed bag, I gotta say. Um, because on the one hand, like... Some people consider us to be, like, the holy grail of hair colors. Um, and, like, I have so many people who, like, I just randomly meet on the street who just tell me, like, oh, your hair is so beautiful, and, like, I wish I had hair like yours. And you hear stuff like that, and you're like, oh, you sweet little baby. I wish we all had red hair. We could all just be friends. But then you get to the dark, seedy underbelly of it, where it's it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, for one thing, like, the jury is kind of out on whether having red hair makes your pain tolerance much higher or much lower, but for me, it definitely makes my pain tolerance much lower, so... That seems like a correlation rather than a causation. There, there is actually study that's been done on it, um, about pain tolerance in relation to hair color. um, a ginger in the background. So, oh, uh, yeah. So, I one hundred percent it does in fact uh, uh, <clears throat> have things to do with your pain tolerance. Yeah. So, so for me, like my pain tolerance is incredibly low. Um, not like where I can't go outside, but uh, I I feel things physically much more acutely than other people do. So that sucks. Um. You also get a lot of people calling you Carrot Top and Ed Sheeran, and <laughs> uh, that that starts to get old after a while, uh, because um, people, people only know, like... Those are two yeah. out of ten. <laughs> and of course, when the Winter Olympics are around, then they start calling you Sean White. <laughs> people, oh. people really only know, like, three or four redheads, and so anytime they see another redhead, they just... Res- they, rely on one of those to make a comparison. Follow-up question. What's yes. the most original ginger-related joke you've had directed at you? Oh. Is there one that, like, sticks out that you think, do you know what? I can't be mad. That was pretty good. Huh. You know, I can't really think of one because I'm too mad most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. There isn't one is an acceptable answer to that question. I'll think about it for the future. Yeah. 
come back to it next time. Right, Toast, you're up. Okay. Um, what are some series of games that you follow religiously? Um. All right, so the easy ones: Mario, Zelda, uh, Metroid, um, Kirby. Lots of you know Nintendo. Those are just blanket answers. Yeah, they are, but like I'm I'm getting towards the the other ones. So Toast, you're not gonna like me for this, but Ace Attorney. Um. <laughs> I told you you weren't gonna like me. I've played all of them. I've. I've played all of them except for the Sherlock Holmes ones the that were only released in Japan because obviously I do not speak Japanese and I do not understand what they're saying. Um, uh, there's tons of great people who play Ace Attorney. I have nothing against them. I don't even, it's not <laughs> like I outwardly hate the games. It's just they exist and I don't really play them. Okay, yeah. Um, what else? Other series. Katamari. I follow Katamari pretty religiously. Um, shoot, this is harder than I thought it would be. Uh, Kingdom Hearts. Played all those. Uh, ba -ba -ba -ba. Da -da -da -da. Um, I play the Warriors games actually, uh, Dynasty Warriors oh, and oh, Samurai Warriors and Hyrule and Not Fire. Much longer on current evidence, then. What about that number nine? <sighs> Go on, now's the time if you have some feelings. Believe me, I have feelings about Dynasty Warriors nine. Um, it is just the most empty and soulless game just devoid of merit in any way shape or form like it's it's not even a warrior's game really like the whole thing is that it's built on this open world which is like a new first thing for dynasty warriors and i was really interested to see how they would pull it off but the overworld is just so dead and empty it's like have either of you played deadly premonition I have not. That's the Twin Peaks-esque game, isn't it? Yeah. So, like, I actually really like the world design of that game, but, like, there are parts where you get to, like, the outskirts of the town where it's just empty expanses of land with, like, a couple of trees here and there and just right. bland grass and dirt, and that's it. And it's like that. Like, the whole world in Dynasty Warriors is like that. Um, you go to a town, and it's just a couple of shabby little wood huts which okay you know it's medieval china i guess that makes sense but it's just not interesting um you're given quests to just run a few hundred meters away from town kill a couple of guys run back and turn in the quest so it's almost like an mmo in that way but with nothing actually rewarding happening because there's not a good story. I mean, it's just literally retelling the Three Kingdoms era of China again for the ninth time. Ugh, I just... Lots of feelings. <laughs> so is the open world sort of a padding thing, then? I have no clue what they thought they were doing with it, to be honest. Does it feel like it to you, then? Um, maybe that's a better question. Does it feel like what? Does the open world feel like it's just a way of padding out the game? 
not it doesn't really feel like it it feels like they legitimately thought they were onto something and they just weren't um like there are it, it just it takes so many elements from like uh you were talking earlier when i mentioned horizon zero dawn like the just bland uh open world objective system and stuff and like yeah. it borrows elements from that that they just implement in such a wrong-headed way like there are towers that you can climb to like get the lay of the land but it doesn't really tell you anything that you didn't already know um it puts a few more markers on but that's it right anyway uh, that's all i want to say we can move on <laughs> fair enough cats or dogs dogs obviously next question okay <laughs> obviously why is that obviously Oh, it is so obvious. Dogs are just... Dogs are just... Hey, my perfect angel baby. What are you doing? (laughs) Zombie Toast is now holding her perfect angel baby cat. Um, I mean, that's just... That's just a preference thing, I guess. But, like... Dogs and cats have different personalities, and dogs' personalities just... jive better with me. Um, I don't know. I like... I like just the bond that you can have with a dog, that you are just, you are there for each other 100% from the day you're born to the day you die. I feel that way about my cats. Alright, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if people feel that way about their cats, then I support that too. But that's the way that I feel about my dogs. Yeah, if I still had my dog, I'd probably feel the same. That got heavy. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What are your hobbies outside of gaming? Ah, okay. Um, well, as you both know, I am a creative writer, um, so I spend time researching for stories and writing stories. Um, I do a little bit of poetry from time to time. Um, it's not great, but it exists. Uh, and I also like to play music, uh, guitar and bass. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, that's about it, I guess. Okay. Um, in which case we'll move on to the last question the light is at the end of the tunnel <laughs> uh, and that question is what is your favorite book Ooh, okay I actually do know this one uh, that would be uh, Grendel by John Gardner um, really yeah have you read it uh, parts of it okay so I am unfamiliar tell me and the audience some more yeah so Grendel is a book, a postmodern novel. Uh, I actually don't know what year it was written. It was in the 1900s sometime. But it is a retelling of the epic of Beowulf, but from the perspective of Grendel, uh, who is the first monster that he encounters in that poem. Ooh. Yeah. And it, it could have very easily just come across as just like fanficy in a way not to like put down fan fiction or anything but like um but it approaches it in like a very literary way um so he goes beyond what he originally was and really transforms the character and transforms the epic um when i say that it's a postmodern novel it's written in such a way that many of the chapters are formatted uh in like a a different way than you would normally see in a novel. So there's one section that is formatted like a play, 
um, there's one section that is basically formatted like a philosophy manifesto. Uh, so it just it it does some really interesting things and plays with masculinity and hyper masculinity and just the idea of being other uh, and having been considered as other for centuries at a time and how you kind of break out of that mold. So does the the different format thing that you just mentioned have any bearing on the story at all or is it sort of done for the sake of being done? It actually, it really does uh, impact the story because uh, I see what you're saying there. Like a lot of times, sometimes the formatting can just be a way to do something new and fresh and different. But here it actually, it it has meaning for the story because uh, about halfway through the story, uh, this is spoilers, but nobody reads books anyways. So I about might. keep it spoiler free. All right, it's not really a spoiler because I mean, again, it's Beowulf, and yeah, if you've read Beowulf, you've already, you know, you know what happens, the events. Yeah. So about and about halfway. You have to read it anyway. Yeah, about halfway through the book, uh, Grendel encounters the dragon that appears at the end of the Beowulf epic, and the dragon basically expands Grendel's mind and gives him like the ability to speak and the ability to think in critical ways and stuff. So it's really after that point that things start to transform within the book. And it really is representative of Grendel's ability to have these higher order thoughts. And so he's able to consider things more artfully and put them into different frames than he right. normally would. That's represented in the format. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hmm. So yeah, that's, that's my favorite book. Sweet. And that's probably a nice way to close out the interview. Thank you for offering yourself up as tribute this time, Kurt. Yeah, and thank you guys for the thought-provoking questions. So, mm. now that we have covered all of that, we are going to do our standard uh, episode. What are you currently playing, and what have you recently beat? And we'll probably keep this section a little bit short since we're running up on our time. Uh, so, let's start with Rick. Okay, so as always, Rocket League. <laughs> quite, I quite literally was playing just before we jumped on and started recording. It, it's a very good one for that. But that aside, there are two specific games I want to talk about. One, I beat at the weekend. Um, being when we're recording the last weekend of February. And one that I'm still playing. So the game I beat was Spec Ops, The Line. So that was robbed of the Game of the Month nomination <laughs> last month. And it was a 2013 shooter. And it's it had some relevance at the time because it sort of explored um, the ethos behind military shooters and also delves into some more serious topics like PTSD, um, the ethics or otherwise of things done in the heat of the battlefield I have so many conflicted feelings about the game having beaten it mm -hmm. the story is a clusterfuck in I don't mean that in a positive or a negative way it is just all over the place uh, it sort of has a split ending it branches off in a few directions 
none of them really feel like the right ending. But I like that in a way in that it, it gives you options and it, it leaves it for you to think and decide rather than saying this is how it is. And given the subject matter, I think that's probably the only way they could do the story any justice. The gameplay's okay. I mean, it's, it's a third-person shooter. There's only so far wrong you can go with that in the modern era of gaming. All the excuse me, all of the the tenets of that gameplay are, are somewhat established. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. I have a lot of feelings and I don't know what to do with them. But it was okay. You can probably get it for quite cheap. I'd recommend it. I got even having played through a few of the trickier sections a few times to get past them there's one specifically and this isn't a spoiler when you come out of the cave and there's another thing I should mention it's set in Dubai the setting's really really nice so it's Dubai post a lot of really really bad sandstorms so it's this juxtaposition between all of the the riches and the grandeur and the decadence of that part of the world and also the uh, the damage that comes with a natural disaster. It echoes a lot of the the good things that The Last of Us did with that kind of an environment. And there was a section that I had to play a good 15 times through to get through, where you come out of a cave and onto what's left of a yacht. And that yacht is half submerged in sand. So you're coming out of the cave and almost across an expanse of sand into the open top of the yacht. And there's this paltry little bit of cover and you're expected to get from the cave to the cover and the cover to the yacht while being attacked by about 15 enemies from three different angles. Oh my God, did that bit wind me up. (laughs) Even with a couple of tricky sections like that, I beat the game and saw all of the different endings by reloading save files in just over five hours. But if you can get it on sale, it's well worth a play, especially if you're interested in its place um, in in the narrative history of gaming, as it were. Um, and then the game I've been playing is Final Fantasy, which I mentioned very briefly before. It's nice to see where a lot of that's come from. Even with the remaster, I'm playing it on PSP. It doesn't quite hold up. The combat's okay the story is nothing really to write home about the problem is that it doesn't give you a lot of help or guidance in traversing through so I I have no shame in admitting that I've been referring every now and again to a strategy guide on Jacques wow I'm guilty as charged but I nah everybody uses strategy guides Uh, from time to time it's okay though the first Final Fantasy is not the greatest anyway Wow, I I think it's okay. I think if you don't mind um, going to a third party for the, the guidance that really the game ought to provide, it's mechanically still pretty solid. The dungeon design, I mean, we've yet to see. I'm only three or four hours in, and I've, I've hit one dungeon, and that dungeon was like two floors deep, so I, I barely class it as that. I don't think it's aged very well. It's still pretty bland. Yeah, I mean, that's probably fair. What's nice about it, again, is, you know, you jump in and out for 10 minutes. So I haven't 
found that to be a problem yet. That might change. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, that's what I've been playing and beating. All right. Zombie Toast, how about you? Okay. Um, I've beaten three games, and I'll just briefly like touch on them. Um, Ghost Trick, super, Woo! super good. Best game. <laughs> it it uh, is a tearjerker. It's real good. Mm-hmm. Um, I beat Harmonia, which is a like a key visual novel, which uh, is pretty short, but it's also pretty good. I think it's like two. I think it took like three or four hours to play, and was probably worth it. Um, and then finally beat Hot Sukhoi one over one, and that one took me like three months to beat, off and on, because it was just so dang long, and the routes were just so inconsistently written. Um, and I decided, like an idiot, I was going to save the best route for last. <laughs> um, ugh. I mean, the, the last route was really, really good, but the other ones were just like, oh, why am I playing this? So that one took like 45 hours to beat. Dang. And I'm still currently playing Xenogears, uh, Fallout 3. Um, and then I started the um, first Bayonetta. Okay. And then um, Picross 3D. Cool. Oh, is that the one on the DS? The... Yeah, the original DS. Oh, I beat that game all the way through. It's weirdly addictive. It's <laughs> it's funner than I would have thought it to be. I just wanted to get something casual, and I'm like, oh, crap. I I wanted something I could play for 15 minutes, and then I realized I've been playing it for three hours. I was literally about to say, because I remember <laughs> it being one of those games where I thought, well, I can buy it. In between my revision, I can play a puzzle and put it down. And then... You've played about 30 puzzles, no revisions <laughs> been done, and you just sit there and reassess your life. Yeah, it's it's a lot like that. Yeah. And, I'm glad it's um, not just me. For for Bayonetta, I you know, I got the game for 50% off, so I'm like, I can't do better than this. And then <laughs> um, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it. Um, just because when I was getting in, it seemed to kind of throw a lot of stuff at you really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't sure if, like, the, the noir, like, theme was going to work. But then, like, I think 15 minutes into gameplay, they throw this, like, remixed uh, Fly Me to the Moon. Yeah. Like, yep, yep, I'm going to love this game. <laughs> I just know it. Yeah, that... It just fits so well. That game is just fabulous in every sense of the word. Yeah, I, I was just like, I don't know if it's going to balance everything so well. And then th- that song popped up, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> this game is going to be great. Shoutouts to uh, Mock Turtle, I believe. I was just thinking yeah. there's at least one member of the forum. Who's I think it's Mock Turtle. I, I think he likes Bayonetta 2 better, though. But, I mean, honestly, they're both so good. Well, I mean, I'm still very, very early on. I'm on, like, chapter 2 or 3. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then what about you, Kev? Okay. Um, so recently completed, uh, I did Puzzle Agent and Puzzle Agent 2 uh, last week, I guess. Um, vintage downtown. Yeah, yeah. So for anybody who's not familiar, Puzzle Agent and Puzzle Agent 2, uh, they're like based off this graphic novel series, I think. Um, but there are a couple of telltale games that were released back in 2010 i want to say uh pretty long time ago and they're basically professor layton light games 
Oh, they're not as good though. They are not as good. <laughs> that, yeah. They're bones. Yeah, they're they're super generic. Um, like the puzzles that they give you are so repetitive. There, there's only like three or four puzzle varieties, really. Uh, there are slight differences between a couple of them, but really you're just playing the same thing over and over again. Um, the writing, the characters just don't really come alive at any point. Uh, it wants very much to be like Twin Peaks or like Fargo, and it just is not. Um, the second one is even worse than the first one, because I guess that they wanted it to be like a full episodic game, but they only had two episodes, and it's like they had to wrap everything up in the second one. So they introduce all these plot lines and then try to bring them all together, but it just fails ca catastrophically. So, those were not great. I started playing, or started replaying, rather, Xenoblade Chronicles over this past week. Ooh, did I inspire you? Uh, yeah, yeah, you did, actually. <laughs> um, because I've been meaning to get back to it for so long, because my game just... When I tried to play it back on the Wii, like, my Wii just could not handle it after a certain point. It just would not even spin the disc anymore. So now that I have a, my Wii U, I've been trying to play it on there. Hopefully that that can handle it. Um, I am just leaving the first colony uh, after having done the dungeon and the big sad event of the first act has occurred. Mm -hmm. There's always a sad event. Trust oh, me. yeah. Every single one of the, the saga games or like the... Xeno. The Xeno. The Xeno games. There's yeah. always that sad, triggering event. Hey, it wouldn't be anime otherwise. Yeah. Um, but it, it is peculiar in that it is anime with wonderful British regional accents. <laughs> I love the voices in this game. The, from really what I've heard of Xenoblade Chronicles 2, they're a little iffy. But honestly, um, the voice acting in Chronicles is amazing. English or uh, dubbed or not? I'm listening to dubbed. Okay, I almost always it's a good listen to. I listen to things in e original usually. Um, like I know that I couldn't stand the dub for Dongaranpa, so I listen. What? To the dub sucks. No. Monokuma got ruined when they dubbed him. I like I like the English Monokuma better than the Japanese one. Honestly. Then you're not smart. <laughs> Straight to the throat. I feel like I should be the, the decider here, but. I get so impatient playing that kind of game, I just skip through as soon as I've read the line of text, so I actually couldn't tell you what their voices were. Um, everything's almost always better in its original. Wow. And I think I generally agree with that, but I think that there are exceptions where, uh, even if, I mean, it's very, very rare that the English is better than the Japanese, but I think there are some times when it's equal, and I, I would say Danganronpa is maybe one of those instances. Nope. <laughs> well, we can all agree that Xenoblade is, especially, like, obviously with the Project Rainfall stuff and all of that, the game came to Europe and they specifically did the dub with British audiences in mind. So 
it was nice kind of hearing those accents and it really gave the game a sense of place in a way that I didn't think it would prior to playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and my brother had a joke about asking what time it was and no matter what time of the day it was, the response would be, it's Ryan time! <laughs> Which, that was funny at the time. Looking back, not so much. No, it's back hilarious. I think we're all just sleepy and that's why we're not laughing out loud. Maybe. Right, we're nearly there. <laughs> we're all sleepy or hungry or I don't know what's going on in your life, Rick. We're all deprived of an essential need. Well, it's just gone midnight in the UK, so sleepy is probably the one. Okay, so we're both sleepy. We're getting there, yeah. So you were saying you played Puzzle Agents 1 and 2, you played Xenoblade Chronicles. Yep. And other than that, I'm, I have rented, I have not been able to start, but I rented Spirit Tracks from Gamefly, and I also rented Rhythm Heaven Fever. So I'll probably be. Good. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. So I'm, I'll probably be touching those this weekend, not weekend, oh, week, weekend, weekend. I have officially broken Fallout Three. Oh God, dang it! It was I'm gonna happen. What did you do this time? Um, okay, so what happened was there's a um, thing on Ten Penny Towers where you can um, there's ghouls. And you can try and get them to live among the humans in Tenpenny Towers, or you can kill all the humans, or you can kill all the ghouls. I tried to work it so that you could they could live peacefully together, but um, that's not something that works. Because if you try to get them together, the ghouls start feeding them to uh, a monster. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, so I reloaded my save like an idiot, because... I had, like, forgotten or whatever about it, um, and things are breaking. I I thought you were actively trying not to break it this time. Yeah, things are breaking. I think there's a, I think there's a metaphor in there somewhere about trying to create peace between these two communities, and it ends up just destroying your game. You know, it was really, it made me very angry because the message behind it was, was, I was like, you know, all these bigoted humans are going to learn that you always need to judge people for who they are as people, and I'm, I'm, they're going to learn their lesson, and it's going to be great, everything's going to be peaceful, and the game literally taught me, be a bigot, and it's just like, oh, <laughs> political, to... political, ah, and... <sighs> I wanted things to work out, and it was the the ghouls happened to be exactly the way that the humans described them, and I'm ah, like, this is terrible. Let's go. Ah. <laughs> All right. Anybody have anything else to add about what they've been playing, what they recently beat, anything you're planning on playing soon? Just one thing. When you were mentioning Puzzle Agent, I want to make another slightly shameless plug. So on Steam. There's a series of games called Hector Badge of Carnage. And I think they're one of like the earliest games Telltale did. It's a point and click set in a shitty part of London suburbs. And you play as a shitty cop in that shitty part of town. Um, for context, there's a puzzle that runs through all three of the games that requires you to get a drunken man straight, as in sober, in order to get some of the stuff out of your shopping trolley, then manipulate his good spirit in another game, 
and then trick him into drinking alcohol-laced coffee to make him a bum again. Um, some of the items that you use to solve the puzzles in the game include uh, dirty magazines, a blow-up sex doll, and oh, what was the other one? Oh, um, a convict's tracksuit bottoms. And the humour in the game is just perfect. So if you're if you're wanting to scratch that itch and you feel like you've played everything Telltale has to offer, try them out. They're super cheap. You can beat the whole trilogy in seven or eight hours, and they're really good fun. This is the part where I have to tell you that I detest every bit of those games. Well, I'm not sure we can be friends anymore. (laughs) There's a red line and you've crossed it. It's the Hector Badge of Carnage series. I have literally never heard of them. They uh, they came out on iOS first. This was like back before Telltale were renowned. Or oh, got the I don't play. I, I don't keep track of iOS stuff. Well, they're on Steam now. That's yeah. But if they were originally on iOS, I wouldn't have known of them. They, yeah, that's fair enough. iOS users are kind of like, why even bother? <laughs> mm, that's fair. Well, the thing is, I have like an iPod, so my my main phone, my driver is an Android. But I like having all my music on a separate device because I normally just keep it hooked up to the speaker. Um, I've got my Samsung Galaxy Seven, but I just use it for reading. Uh, different strokes for different folks, but it's on Steam. It's a point and click, so it doesn't really lose anything in the transition. It's well worth a go. Yeah. On the flip side no, of that, don't, don't what I'm about to say is wrong. Well, I I just have to say that like I the gross out humor and the just overblown cynicism of everything just does not groove with me very well. The and, humor is quite British. Uh huh. Yeah, I think that might be part of it too. Probably. Um, but yeah. And like for me, every aspect of a point and click has to work for me in taste or I'm just not going to like it. And so if, if even one thing is not working for me, then it tends to ruin the whole experience. That's that probably bad. I get that. Pardon? Sorry. It looks kind of gross. It that's is. That's sort of the point. That, that's where a lot of the humor comes from. I don't jive with pukey graphics. No, thanks. What do you mean pukey graphic? Like if when ugh, there's something that humor artists use to um it's like a very humor artist thing where they use a palette that is all like contrasting it's just something that's always made my neck tingle and i i saw it on that and it's just something i don't deal with like lots of browns and gray greens and vibrant yellows just like really gross colors me it makes me car sick like motion sick when i i look at it like, well, Ellen and Eddie did that, too. I think the audience members should go and have a look at the Steam page and decide for themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I am right, as always. Make make your choices for yourselves, but uh, it makes me want to vomit my soul out of my body and flush it down a toilet where it can be purified. Make your choices for yourselves, but just make sure you make the correct one. <laughs> All right, so on that note, that is all we have for you on this episode of the podcast. 
Please make sure that you uh, take to the forums and drop any questions you want us to answer next time. And thank you very much for listening. Like, subscribe, share, all that usual stuff. <laughs> Reblog. Reblog. Share us on your dick. <laughs> <laughs> God damn.